0: So let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll begin with verse 6 this morning. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, there was morning, a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind, with seed in them on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. And we'll pick up day five and six next week. But uh, I, I want to start by saying the title of this message it's not a misprint. I realize that my typewriter makes many mistakes. It's famous for that. It's not my fault that it can't read my mind. Uh, but I made doubly sure this was not a mistake this time. I, I'm looking at the word of creation. I realize as we look at Genesis 1, we think of the work of creation. And those are close enough together on the typewriter that you can get them mixed up if you're not careful. I wanted the word, and, and that's what uh, it is the title of, on your outline today. We will look at the work of creation, but notice the repeated phrase that comes out as you read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is, and God said, God said, that was the word of creation here. Uh, uh, why the spoken word? What, what is the message in that for us today? Obviously, we weren't there when it happened. What is he trying to tell us through this? So let's begin by looking at the word. God said is used in this passage. In chapter one, it's used 10 times, and it's used once in chapter two. Now, someone has wisely said if, if God repeats something in Scripture, if you find it twice, you better pay attention. If you find it three times, you better really pay attention. I think of Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and and the angels cried out, what? Holy, holy, holy. Was the Lord saying something in that to Isaiah? I think he was. And I think Isaiah got the message there. So if, if he has put that phrase in here in two chapters 11 times, I think there's a message in it for us. And so we need to look at the word of creation. One of the first things that we notice about the word here is uh, that God and God alone is the creator. Not time, not chance, not circumstances. God said, let there be, and there was. God was the creator uh, in each of these Six days, we, we will notice it was God who was speaking, God who was doing the work of creation. Also, we see here the name God is Elohim. It's a, a plural noun. It's, uh, we would use, for instance, a, the word herd to describe a group of animals, not just one animal. One animal doesn't make a herd, it's more than one. And so, when he uses that plural noun here, I think in the very beginning of time, he's given us a glimpse of. The Trinity. We have God, the Father, obviously in the form of Elohim here. We have in the very same breath the Spirit of the Lord moving over the surface, over the face of the earth, and then we also have the Word. In John chapter one, in the opening verses, there it says, "In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God." And then you come down to verse 14 of that chapter. He said, "The Word." Became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And so the word represents the sun here. All three of them were active in our creation there. Uh, You wonder as you think of creation, were the angels involved in it? I I don't know. Job 38, verse 7, speaks of the fact that the morning stars sang together for joy in in the time of creation. So they they were obviously there. Did they have a part in it? We'll just have to wait till we get the glory to find out there. But how did God do it? How did he orchestrate the events? Well, Jeremiah 32, I think, gives us a, a clue to that. In Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, Jeremiah cries out, Oh, Lord God, there is nothing too difficult for thee. If God spoke, if God said it, it was possible for it to happen there. There is nothing too difficult for him. Do we believe that? Do we believe that enough in the midst of the trial to go to prayer and ask the Lord, I need Your help. I, I I need You to step into this circumstance, or or, or do we look at it, the trial and think, I can handle that on my own. I'll, I'll wait till it gets worse, then I'll talk it over with the Lord. No, no, God is the one who is able to orchestrate those events. John one emphasizes the idea of the Word. Uh, uh, the word became flesh. I like the the picture that comes out of Psalm 29 of the word, of of the voice of the Lord. In Psalm 29, he's, he's describing, uh, well, he starts out ascribe to the Lord glory and strength and so forth. And, and then he describes what often happened in that area. The storm would come out of the, the Mediterranean, sweep across the land and, and do some tremendous damage at times. Uh, Verse 3, he says, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory of God thunders. The voice is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic, or the word of the Lord is majestic there. And and as you continue down through that psalm, you come down to verse 9, where he says, the voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve, strips the forest bare, and in his temple. Everything says glory think of that for a minute. As you think of creation and the work of God, everything says glory. It says the Lord sat as king at the floods, as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. That should be, I think, our response to creation. Glory, glory. Do you ever marvel when you look around you at God's creation and just have that sense of glory? of what a majestic God we have who, who created all of this beauty that we see around us. I, th- I think that's one of the privileges of living in Stevens County. We get a glimpse of the glory of God. I, I, I still remember when I was first getting ready to go to the mission field, going downtown Philadelphia. And I had a couple hours to kill before I, I met with our mission director and his wife. And they were speaking at uh Philadelphia College of the Bible. So I finished my business, and I had a couple hours. Thought, I'll just wander into the Museum of Natural Science and see what they have in there. And uh, one of the very first displays were there was uh, all of the animals that were in the Delaware Valley area, because uh, that comes right along the edge of Philadelphia. There, and that's the area where we lived. And so, in, in inside a glass enclosure, there were uh, stuff squirrels and rabbits and raccoons and deer and and all all of the animals that having lived out in the country we were so familiar with but uh, i'm standing there thinking that's no big deal why they got an exhibit like that and, and then behind me comes a group of kids from the inner city all they knew was sidewalks blacktop no grass where, where they lived it, it was just one row house after another there and I still remember them standing, looking in there, marveling at the animals there and having no clue which one was which. They'd never seen them, never gotten out of the city. They, they didn't know a rabbit from a squirrel. Uh, and I thought, you know, I've been tremendously blessed. I, I've been able to enjoy God's creation. And I I, I know that they, people like to joke about Chihuahua being one of the poorest cities in the Country and so forth, I think we're one of the blessed cities in the, in the area to, to have such a, an opportunity just to enjoy the the glories of, of god 's creation and I think there should be times in our life when we simply say "Glory, what a great and awesome God we have and let's give him credit for his his work and, and, and his creation there. When we look at creation, we see a glimpse of the wisdom of god uh, I, Mentioned last week uh, that a bioengineer that studied the uh, dragonfly, and out of it made several th- things for for mankind. Uh, God had it all figured out long in advance. Uh, his wisdom was there. All they had to do was do a little bit of study, and then they had to scratch their heads and say, "How can we re- how can we duplicate that?" in 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 the area that that we want to use it in. And, and eventually they, they did that. But the wisdom of God is there in, in creation. We get a glimpse of his beauty. We, we get a glimpse of his power. Romans chapter 1 speaks of the fact that uh, his, uh, his powers is revealed in creation. His, his invisible attributes, some of them are seen in creation. Uh, Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. What a great and awesome God we serve. What a tremendous privilege it is to just observe his creative genius as we look at the world around us. We, we have a tremendous God today. And the fact is God spoke and it was so. So that leads us to the order of creation now. Uh, God has revealed for us how he accomplished it or, or a glimpse of how he, he accomplished it. I don't think we begin to understand how he spoke and it came into being. Uh, but uh, he, he at least gives us how the process as as it's played out here. We already looked at day one last time. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Tremendous place to start because without light, there can be no life. It, it, uh and I think as we look at the order of creation, we need to recognize it was a well thought out process. God knew exactly what he was doing and the, and, and the way to, to do it. And he was working to create a place, a dwelling place for man. And, and he went about it in an orderly fashion. So day one was the the light and he is the source of light, both the physical light and spiritual light as well. Uh, John one again says in him was life, or light, and the light was the life of men. There, he he brought us that that light. Uh, day two, he separates the waters from above, that are on the earth and those that are in the heavens. Uh, Isaiah 42, or 40, verse twenty two speaks of that event. It says, "It is he who sits above the vault of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers." This doesn't give you much. Uh, self-esteem does it he, he's sitting up there on the, the circle of the earth over the circle of the earth and we're grasshoppers but notice he says he stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in them danny read the same thing from psalm 104 uh, I, I love that picture it's uh, a picture of god just taking a, like we would take a curtain and stretching it out around the earth uh, and providing for us not just a, a curtain there, but oxygen, uh, the air as we know it, uh, a barrier from the harmful rays of, of the sun. What what an awesome God to think of being able just to take the heavens and, and stretch them out and, and make out of them something that it makes it possible for us to live a, a upon this earth. And again, as I said, uh, it's well thought out, but can we understand how he did that? Uh, we we can understand how we can stretch a curtain or raise those blinds and so forth, but uh, something as big and vast as the atmosphere around the earth, well, he's able. Uh, he is God t- today. Day three, he makes the dry lands and the seas. Incidentally, you notice on day two, the one thing that is missing there is he doesn't say it was good. That's because he's still dealing in day three, he's finishing what he started in day two. He's dealing with the waters and separating them and so forth. And so after he separates those on the earth from those in the heavens, then he separates the dry land from the earth. And then he says, it's good. So it, it was a, a two-step process here. And when he's finished, he looks at it and says, that's good. I like that. that, that that's good there. Again, we see this picture uh, Where Danny was reading from Psalm 104, if you go just a few verses farther, in verse 5, he said, He established the earth upon its foundations, so that it will not totter forever and ever. Thou didst cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At thy rebuke, they fled. At the sound of thy thunder, they hurried away. The mountains rose, the valley sank down to the place which thou didst establish for them. Thou didst set a boundary that they may not pass over. And again, as we look at that, we see God is in control. He set the boundaries. Uh, you, you ever notice that when you, you visit the ocean? Those waves come crashing in one after another, hour after hour, day after day. And God says, this is far enough. This is as far as you're going. And, and they go back again. It, it, uh, God is the one who is in c- control of that uh, And I I missed verse 10 of that. He goes on to say in verse 10, He sends forth springs in the valley. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. And and he goes on to to give the, the, the purpose of his creative work there. It was for our benefit for us, it, it, he he did all of that for, for you and and I there. Uh, it and, and he pronounces it, then it is good. He had cre- he was creating a perfect environment. Now I realize today there are destructive elements out there. Uh, sometimes those waves can de- become a tsunami. Sometimes we have hurricanes, sometimes we have typhoons, sometimes we struggle with the fact that all we get is rain instead of snow. All of this is part of the fall. It it wasn't God's original intention. His original intention was good, and we'll explore that when we get into chapter 3, what actually happened there, Uh, but uh, aren't you glad having made a beautiful creation and then having it marred by sin, that he's in the business of making a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. And, and someday we're, it's going to be restored to the conditions that it was like in the Garden of Eden there. And, and we're going to get to enjoy creation in a way that we're just beginning to appreciate today. There, there's so much more out there for us. Also on, on that particular day, he made the plant life. Uh, notice the wording of verse 11 there it says let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them on the earth and it was so Uh, as you read the wording that, that he has there what he is saying is God put the whole cycle in place at one time you ever have somebody ask you that proverbial question which came first the chicken or the egg they both came together. God created the whole thing all at once. I I like the story that comes out of the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 16 and 17, you have Korah and some of the other priests challenging Aaron's authority. Oh, who gave you the right to, to be in charge and, and so forth? And there was mumbling and complaining and, and so forth. And And God steps in and God says, okay, let's have a, an example here. He said, "I want each of the heads of the tribes to to bring a rod. We're going to place it before the the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to put it in the tabernacle, and the one that that buds is the one that I have chosen." They each wrote their name on the staff that they brought there. Just a, a a dead old stick, a walking stick that we would use, and, and uh, no life in it whatsoever. And, and yet they left it there overnight when they came back the next morning. Notice verse 8. It says, number 17, 8, he says, now it came about on the next day that Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted, and put forth buds, produced blossoms, and it bore ripe olives. That takes a long time for that to happen, doesn't it? But God did it overnight He stepped in. It it was a a miracle of recreation, in a sense, there in in just a few hours. He didn't need the evolutionary process for that to happen. He didn't need millions of years. He just simply caused it to happen. And and, uh, what a a great and awesome God we have. And, And notice what he says here. He says, I want each of them to reproduce after its kind. We'll see more of that when we get to day five and and, and day six. But so what is he suggesting in that? He's suggesting that if you plant corn, what do you expect to harvest? Corn. Yeah. Uh, I I would be a little bit disappointed if I planted corn and I came back and I found eggplant growing. I don't like eggplant. <laughs> I, I I like corn. Uh, we, we we don't expect that. We we put. Uh, we put in an apple tree. We don't expect to get oranges off of it. We're looking for apples. And uh, there, there's a spiritual principle involved in that, I believe, in in Galatians chapter 6. He, he speaks of the fact in verse 7 and 8, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God sowed these, and, and they continue to, to bear the fruit that is there. We can min- manipulate the varieties, and yet, even though we have several different varieties of corn, or on day f- six we'll see we can have several different kinds of cows and so forth, they're still cows. You don't turn a cow into a lion. You, you, I don't care how many millions of years you were to go through, it's not going to happen. We, we can manipulate the v- varieties, and yet, essentially, they are the same creature there. And I think there's a spiritual principle involved in that. In, in John chapter 15, we're encouraged to abide in the vine. As, as we abide in Jesus Christ, as we are in him and he is in us, then what does he say happens? We bear fruit. We bring forth fruit. Now, what is the fruit that he's talking there? Well, when you plant a seed, when you take a, a kernel of corn and put it in the ground, it bears the essential fruit that it was that it came from it, it's a, it produces another cornstalk there it, and so the, the fruit in John chapter 15 is if we're abiding in Christ we should be bearing the character of Christ. we, we should be demonstrating that, that we belong to him we should be living that out uh, we, we've changed we've we become new creatures in Christ and we are to, to bear that fruit as we walk through this world that idea was built into the very order and method of, of creation here. And then we come to day four and we have lights in the heaven, we have the sun, the moon, the stars and so forth and some people have said this has got to be a fable because you go back to day one and God said let there be light but there wasn't any sun until day four. How How is that possible there? Well, God knew what he was doing. There are Many different sources of, of light. We have—I don't know if you're aware of it—we have five sources of light in the, in this room. When I come in in the morning, it's dark in here. I turn on that light switch over there, and those side walls go on. It gives it a little bit of light, not much, but a, but enough to see where you're walking. And, and then, as I walk along the side there, I raise the curtains, so we get light from a second source. It begins to get a little brighter in here. Then I get back there where Diane and Mark are sitting, and I. there's three different switches there. There's three different banks of light up here, and uh, I don't know whether you realize it or not, but uh, I think you need to be nice to Mark and Diane because they control most of the light in this room. And uh, you make it tough on them, they'll put you in the dark in a hurry. <laughs> it, uh, it, it's right behind them. All they're going to do is turn around and, and you, you lose your light. And so in a very real way, in, on day one, God said, let there be light. And there was light. The same light that's going to be there in the, the new heaven and new earth. He said, there's, no gonna, there's not going to be any need for the sun. There's not going to be any need for the moon and the stars and so forth in the new heaven and earth. Why? Because the lamb is there. And the glory of the Lamb is there. That His light is going to give us the light that that we need there. And and so on day four, God says, let's make some special lights. And, And he makes the sun, the moon, and the stars. Why did he do that? Well, two reasons come out of the text here. One, he wanted to separate the light from the darkness. He wanted to give us day and night. And I think that's important. God knew, even before he created us, God knew that you and I would need times to rest. And the best way to do that, I don't know about you, but the best time to do that is when it's dark. I have a problem with daylight savings time because it gets light so early in the morning. And when, when that light comes, I don't, we, we put a curtain over the window, we put a blanket over the curtain, I still wake up early because it's light, and light's beginning to creep in. It's time to be awake. And I know some of you have done shift work and so forth, worked at night and slept in the day. That that can be tough on the body. God knew in the very beginning of time, though, that we would need light and we would need darkness, and he created that for us so that uh, uh, we, we can experience the best that that he has for us there, and then he said, "They're for signs and for seasons, not to be worshipped, but to govern our our seasons and our signs and, and and so forth." There, they are to testify to the the glory of God. In chapter eight, verse twenty-two, after the flood, God said to Noah, "While the earth remains, seed time and harvest." Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. God said it's going to be there. Uh, Every day is it's going to be a period of light. There's going to be a period of darkness. Every year there's going to be winter. There's going to be summer. We we have our favorite times and our favorite seasons. But and we joke about the snow in the winter and so forth. But. The the very fact that year after year the same thing happens is a testimony to the fact that God is faithful. I like Lamentations chapter 3. In the midst of the struggle that Jeremiah was going through in verse 22 and 23 there, he says, um, I'll, I'll back up to verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness never, indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy, what? Faithfulness. Great is thy, we sing that, don't we, as a song. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto, unto us. And I, I trust as you look at the change of seasons, hate to say it, but spring's coming, it's, it's next, um, let it remind you of the fact that God is faithful. God said this is going to happen. As long as the world remains, there will be summer and winter and so forth. There'll be day and night. It's a testimony to us, I believe, of the faithfulness of God. And so that brings us to day five. Got to come back next week for day five. We're not going to do that this week. Uh, I, I know some of you are wondering, is Pastor Dan ever going to get through this creation week? We will. Uh, it, it'll be a few weeks before we we get. Uh, I, I want to really spend a lot of time on Genesis one through eleven because I think every major doctrine that we have in the in the church finds its roots in these opening chapters of of Genesis here, and, and so it it becomes a critical a passage that's under tremendous attack today, but a fundamental passage for our our faith there. So. Yeah, we'll get there eventually, just have a little bit of patience, and and we'll we'll get through the the creation account in a few weeks. But what about the application? What can we learn about the creation as it's given to us here? I think the very first lesson that we learn is we get a glimpse of the character of God we get an understanding from creation of who God really is. The heavens, Psalm says, declares the glory of God. Romans 1 speaks of his wisdom and power being revealed through nature. And to deny creation leads to idolatry and destruction. If, If we remove God from the creation account and the creation story and say this is just a fable or just a fairy tale we destroy our understanding of the character of God. We, we, we need to hold on to the fact that God spoke, it happened. And uh, I don't know about you, but I find that very encouraging. God spoke and it happened. And that's the second application here is the, the word of God, both the written word and the spoken word or the living word here. When God speaks... Do we really believe him? Do you ever argue with the word of God? Do you ever try and explain it away? Do you ever say, Lord, you you don't really mean that for me, do you? I I mean, that's okay for somebody else, but uh, shouldn't I be exempt from that? No, if God speaks, whether it's through Jesus Christ speaking as the living word or whether it's through the, the written word, we have a responsibility to pay attention. Now, I, I like, as, as I think of creation, the elements and so forth there, God spoke, and it happened. They did what God said. Now, they, they didn't question. They didn't argue with the Lord. They, they simply did what, what he said. Uh, John 17, verse 17, speaks of the fact that thy, or he said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is true. Thy word is truth there. And so we can stake our lives upon the word of God. If we attempt to explain it away with our so-called scientific theories and philosophies, we do tremendous damage to ourselves and, and, and to others. I, I can't help but think of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He, he said, why do you bother calling me Lord, Lord, Lord? If you're not going to do the things that I say. If he speaks as our Lord, as our creator, as our master, we have a responsibility to respond to that word. We have a responsibility to, to follow him, to do what it is that he's asking us to do in that. I, I like Psalm 139 verse 14 where it speaks of the fact that, that we are part of God's creative work. That we he formed us in the womb. Uh, he, we are wonderfully, marvelously made there. I, I wonder as you think of that, do you see yourself that way? A unique, a special creation of God? That that God created you the way you are for a reason and, and for a purpose? Now, we may not fully understand why he created us the way he did. But I think we should thank him for it because he knows what he needs in us and and what is is best for us, and I wonder how many times do we look in the mirror and we criticize god 's handiwork, if only yeah why, why did he why did he give me this these looks or this number of pounds- well sometimes we blame that on the Lord, but maybe sometimes those pounds aren't the lord 's problem, maybe they, they were ours. But, but how many times do we criticize what, what God has created in making us when he says we're fearfully and wonderfully made? We're made in his image. And we'll see more of that as we get into day six. But what a tremendous privilege that is to be made into the image of God. And he spoke it. It's his word. Do we believe it? Do we accept it? Do we say, Lord, use me? I love the, the illustration of Isaiah chapter, you know, Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He fell on his face before the Lord and, and the Lord said, who shall we send? Who will go for us? Do you, do you ever ponder the response of Isaiah there? He said, Lord, here am I. Send me, send me. How many times do we hear the Lord speaking? I want you to go to that uh, neighbor or that family member, and share the gospel with them. And what do we do? We pray, Lord, here am I. Send my brother. That's what Moses did. uh, As as the Lord was calling him to go back to Egypt and lead his his people out, he said, Lord, send by somebody else. I'm I'm not able to do that. I I can't speak. And on and on went his objections There, And finally the Lord got angry with him. And he said, Moses, just get up and go. Do what I told you to do. And what a tremendous blessing it was when he came to the end of himself and realized, yes, I will do what God asked me to do. When he speaks, how quick are we to listen? And then the third application I think comes out of this is that someday there's going to be a new creation. When God looked at his original creation, by the time we come to the end of day six, we're going to see, he said, and it was very good, not just good, but it was very good. He was satisfied with what he had created, what he had fashioned, what he had made there, and then we come to chapter three, and we read that the uh, problem came in, sin happened that creation was marred, and, and we we only see a glimpse of the glory of God in it today. but praise the lord that 's not the end of the story. God is in the business of. Recreated, and He's going to recreate not just us, but the the world in which we live, and so forth. We are being made today into the image of Jesus Christ. He we originally created, or Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. We are being recreated into the image of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five seventeen says, "If any man be in Christ, he's what a new creature or a new creation." There, he he is working in us and. What he is suggesting there is you and I are works in progress. God's recreating us. He's reshaping us. He's reforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And we'll see more of that from the, as we get into the creation of, of Adam and Eve. But the day is coming when that process will be complete. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 speaks of the fact that when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We only get a glimpse of him now in creation, in the world around us, in other people. We get, we get a glimpse of the image of God, but the days coming when we're going to be face-to-face. That process will be complete. Today, 2 Corinthians three eighteen speaks of the fact that we're being transformed from glory to glory. It's a growth process. and I trust as you look at your life today and as you think back to 10 years ago you can see some changes in your life. You, you become more like Jesus Christ. You, he's been working in your heart and, and life and, and conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we wish he'd hurry up that process a little bit because we struggle with that, but uh, he knows what he's doing. He's recreating us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, as you think about that, do you honestly believe today that God is working in your heart, in your life, and making you into the image of Jesus Christ. As, as someone said, he's, he's making something beautiful out of our lives. We not, may not fully appreciate the trials. We, we may not fully appreciate the process that he takes us through. But what is he doing in us? He's making something beautiful. Making us so that we can reflect the glory of God to others. No wonder Paul can come to the Philippians and say, do all things without murmuring and complaining. Did you do any of that this week? A little bit of murmuring, a little bit of complaining. Did you forget that God was doing something beautiful in your life? You may not have understood the trial. You, you may not have understood what he was doing. But do, do we honestly believe he knows? what he is doing. And just as he made a, a beautiful creation back in Genesis chapter one, and we still enjoy remnants of that today, he's he's doing the same thing in us. He's making something beautiful out of our lives. And so I think as what we read in Psalm twenty nine, there are moments in our life when we simply need to step back and say, Glory. Praise be to God for what he is doing in our hearts and our lives. And let God be God. Let him lead as he chooses and rejoice in who he is and what he is doing in our hearts today. Let's pray. Father, we would stop today. As we look around us, the world that you've given us to live in, the community that you've given to us, the place and so forth. We want to say glory. We've been so blessed. Thank you, Lord, for the glories of your creation, for the privilege of enjoying, as the psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. We get the privilege of enjoying that. What a blessing that is. But, Father, we also look at our own lives and our hearts, and we see your hand at work at times, and we want to say glory for that. Thank you that you are reshaping us. Remaking us into the image of Jesus Christ. And help us to cooperate in that process. To recognize there will be times when we don't understand what you're doing. But we believe that you know what you're doing. And so we say thank you, Lord, for the new creation that you're working in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. With that in mind, let's sing that tremendous hymn, How Great Thou Art.